I was ready for lunch. <laughs> I, I, I cried. I repented. I was healed. I... <sighs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What an absolute delight to be in God's presence and to hear his word so, so masterfully shared. Not just word, although there was a ton of written word in that message, but also just the flowing rhema word of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I'm so thankful for these tremendous ministries that are here with us. And what I've found is over the years, there's always... There's a little bit of a, not a conflict, but there's a tension. There's a tension between, and it's positive, it's not, not negative. We're, we don't have conflict at all. I mean, we're on the same page. But there's a tension in the church between focusing on the interior, an, an inward focus, which is absolutely essential. We have to have focus on, on the inward because that's where our strength is in that inward man. Everything else flows out of that. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's this need for an outward focus on the church. And so I believe the Lord's given us direction today for that combination because it takes a whole church now, I don't mean the entire church. I mean a whole healed church, an intact believer to be able to go and do what God then calls you to do outside. And so thank God for his word and for what he's doing. I believe that by the time we leave here that we're going to be whole inwardly, collectively, and then I believe he's going to send us out into the places that he's called us to go. Uh, I do realize I am the last thing before lunch. <laughs> Some things are the same everywhere in the world. There are universal pressures. And uh, it is 11.39 a.m. Lunch is at 12.30 p.m. And so I know, I know, I know where your mind is because I know where your stomach is going and um, the book of Job chapter 9. The book of Job is a fascinating scripture and we're going to read just three verses to start and then we'll move forward through this. And this is Job speaking. It's in not, chapter 9 verse 32. Job says this and he's speaking about God and uh, this is what he says. He says, for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him, or that we should come together in judgment. And this is what, uh, let's see which version you, you have. Uh, he's not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we should go to court together. Take me to verse 33. Nor, I like that word, nor is there any mediator. The King James uses an old word called a daysman, but this translation uses the word mediator. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Verse 34, let him take his rod away from me. And in another translation, it says, so that God will stop beating me. Have you ever been in a place and you said, Lord, chalas, kapusna. Hallelujah. 
I, I have a few words. After 20 years in the Middle East with OFWs, I have a few words here and there. Amen. Let him take his rod away from me that I don't, and do not let dread of him terrify me. I don't want to live in dread of God. And if that was to happen, verse 35, he says this, Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. I want to talk to you about the topic that Job introduces to us, and that is the ministry of the mediator. The ministry of the mediator. That, that person or that thing that comes between two parties and offers connection and puts one hand on one and another hand on the other and brings them together. The ministry of the mediator. The book of Job is one of the most interesting and unique books in the entire Word of God. Historically, of course, Genesis, the content of Genesis predates Job, but Job was very likely the first written book of the Bible. It is a very unique thing because the book of Job is mostly human perspective. It's mostly men talking. It's Job, his three friends, and then the younger guy that, that comes up on them. And much of it is human perspective. Particularly Job and his friends, they are not necessarily in their speech inspired, but the writing is inspired because their speech shows us their interaction with God. It is a much more descriptive book than it is prescriptive. In other words, it describes what's going on without prescribing this is the way it should be. And I thank God that he is so wise to allow that to happen. It, it reads more like a Middle Eastern storyteller than it does like a book in the Bible. It is a spoken story that was probably written down very early. Many historians believe, again, Job probably predates all of the other books of the Bible. There's some interesting things. Job is not a descendant of Abraham. There's no mention of Moses. There's no mention of the law. There's no mention of Father Abraham. Job is just a guy. He's just a man serving God with all of his heart in a harsh Old Testament environment. Can I just tell you, a lot of people still live in that harsh Old Testament environment. Most of the world lives with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You do to me and I'm going to do to you plus some. Hallelujah. That's Job. Job lives in that world. That's, that's his experience. It's a very harsh reality. Job has lived a blessed life, a righteous life. You can be righteous in a harsh environment. Thank you. Just because they do it to me doesn't mean I have to do it to them. That's reasonable. Job, Job proves that you can live a blessed, righteous life in the middle of a very difficult situation. And his testimony of that righteous life is that even though he's not a son of Abraham, he doesn't know the law, his life is a witness to those around him. His integrity speaks for itself, and he is blessed. 
He's blessed with children. He's blessed with servants. He's blessed with abundant resources. He's doing everything he can to serve God. And then suddenly in a single day, one day, everything falls apart in quick succession. Four servants arrive, one after the other, and they share horrific news with Job. Job, your oxen and your donkeys are gone. Job, it gets worse. Your sheep are gone. That is bad news. Sorry, sorry, I apologize for that. I am a dad. Have you heard of dad jokes? That was a dad joke, I'm sorry. For, for Middle Easterners, it gets even worse. Job, your camels are gone. What in the world? And then finally, the universal summit of tragedy. Job, your children are gone. Job is devastated because from his perspective, this happens out of nowhere. It's inexplicable. It's unexplainable. He can't reason his way out of this. He cannot determine why this happened to him. And the Bible tells us that, of course, we see God ask the question, Have you considered my servant Job? God is not the originator of the circumstances. He doesn't design the trial. But God does allow this hedge to come down for a moment. Satan is the originator of the horrible events. Satan is the attack dog. It's okay to call Satan a dog. I had to think through that for a minute, but yes, he's not a person. Satan is a dog. Not God, not Job, but Satan is the originator. And yet Job doesn't know the backstory. Job does not have this... this it, tune in to the heavenlies and know that this conversation has taken place, all Job knows is that suddenly everything in his life is turned upside down. Everything that he had worked for, everything he had been faithful for, everything that he thought he had done right suddenly changes. And then this discussion begins. It's a discussion of pain. Job is talking out his pain. Now, this is free for all of you. Sometimes pain just needs to talk. If you're leading people and loving people, let me just give you some pastoral advice. Sometimes pain just needs to talk. Sometimes people that you're ministering to don't necessarily need as many answers as they do a listening ear. Hallelujah. So Job continues expressing his pain, his sorrow, his frustration. And then he comes in, in verse 33, makes this statement. He's, God's not a man that I, can, I can't take him to court. I cannot go to judgment with him. There's no mediator between us. There's nobody between us. And what Job is really saying is, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get what you're doing and there's no... There's no transistor between us, that this translator that would tell me what you're doing and what you're saying in a way that I can understand. Job knows that God is there. Hallelujah. That's something. He knows that God is there, but God, you're just so far away. You're just so distant. You're not touchable. You're not connectable. I need something I can experience. 
I need someone to stand between us. There's a, a Middle Eastern concept. This is a view into Arab culture. Forgive me, I'm not an Arab, but my wife says my heart is Arab. And so there's, a, there's this Arabic word that if you want to get anything done in the Middle East... It doesn't matter if your documentation is in order. You can have exactly the right documentation. It doesn't matter if you have an appointment with the director. That is irrelevant. You need something called wasta. Wasta simply means a mediator, an in-between. In other words, this is what happens. You get pulled over. Now, maybe you never get any fines. I heard Singapore is a fine country. You know, you get a fine. Well, you know, in, in Singapore, I'm sure you just think, oh, no, I have a fine. I have to go and I pay the fine. I did wrong. I, no, no. In the Middle East, if you do something wrong, if you get a fine, your first thought is to, you know what, I need to call my cousin Muhammad because he works at the police station and he can talk to the, the direct. That is, that is the vision of Wasta. Wasta will get you what planning and nothing else will get you. No, what preparation can't get you, Wasta will get you. Job's prayer request is an Arab prayer request, a Middle Eastern prayer request. God, give me Wasta. Let me connect with you in a way that I can understand. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, Job's personal prayer request goes far beyond his own limited experience. Job's prayer request for a mediator puts into words what every person from that Adam to this Adam has ever wondered and ever thought. Adam failed, lost his connection with God. Eve is deceived, lost her connection with God. And the world itself devolves into chaos and lostness. And God is there and we are here. And oh, that I could find him. Oh, that I could connect with him and understand him. Job's prayer request was the prayer request of all humanity. I wish there was a mediator that could connect us. A mediator is a very unique job. You don't just apply for it and you receive approval. A mediator has to have standing with both parties. A mediator has to have experience with both parties. A mediator has to be acceptable to both parties. A mediator, as the KJV puts it, puts one hand on this side and one hand on the other. Without a mediator, the human situation is hopeless. Without a mediator, there's always lack, there's always loss, there's always pain, there's always endless frustration, and we feel alone without a mediator. Job looked backward in time, looked around him, and could not find the answer that he was looking for. But there is a difference between Job of that time and this time today, my brothers and sisters. What Job was looking for, we have found. We have a mediator. God is a spirit. And a spirit can't be touched. It cannot be seen. The John 1 and 18 says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, that is who has declared Him or made Him known. 
That son, Jesus, has made God known. That's not a separate eternal son. That's not a coexistent son, but that sonship refers to flesh. The flesh of Jesus is a window into the powerful revelation of God as a caring, loving Father. It is a revelatory understanding. God did not send another, but He came in Him in His own flesh. And that's why when Philip asked Jesus the question, Show us the Father. It suffices us. Jesus responds to Philip and he says, Have I been with you so long and you don't know who I am? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I thought I was in a oneness church. Can I just tell you, sometimes we get so accustomed to revelatory truth that we lose the wonder and the value of the simplicity of the glorious revelation of who Jesus is. It's another message for another time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says, There's one God, and here's the word, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we have a mediator. We have a connector. We have wasta. We have, the scripture says, a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. The God of all creation who created everything and upholds all things by the word of his power is the same one who appeared as a baby in Bethlehem, the son of God and the son of man, the son of Adam and the son of God. What Job was aching for, what Job was yearning for has arrived. Somebody to understand, somebody to connect flesh Somebody to unite heaven and earth. He has arrived, and I'll just say this, it changes absolutely everything. The presence of a mediator changes everything. Your pain, your sorrow, your frustration, your cares can be cast upon him, and he knows exactly how you feel. If you're in this crowd today and you think, nobody knows what I'm experiencing, nobody knows the hidden hurt that I have, let me just tell you, there is one who sees, understands, and is ready to respond. Hallelujah. First, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ mediating or reconciling the world to himself, not imputing trespasses to them. And he's given to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God himself did call on you or beseech you by us. We pray to you or we ask you in the stead of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's absolutely amazing. This revelation of Christ as the mediator. It's a powerful, powerful understanding that Christ is the answer for every human dilemma, every human issue, 
every human problem. The evidence we've already seen today as His presence came down in this room and spoke to us in a profoundly personal way. How could a, a, a wonderful woman who, she knows a few of you, but she doesn't know all of you. It was the power of Christ that we just saw. It was that reconciling power that, that stands between God and men and, and is connecting these two things that are on opposite polar spectrums and, and bringing them together. That's why you feel what you feel. That's why you're healed like you are healed. That's why you experience what you experience because somebody, Christ, has come and reconciled you. To God. John 1 and 18 says this. No man has seen God. We already read it. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, has declared Him. Now, we're very good with that understanding. In fact, it's almost passe. Because I can preach about the revelation of the my God in Christ Jesus. And you're like, oh yeah, we know that. Next. So John 1.18, the focus is on Christ and His ministry of mediation, His being the declaration of the Father. But can I just tell you that John, who is the beloved disciple, went through a powerful process that changed his experience. Because, you know, John, like all of us, was prone to use the same language. He uses the same wording, you know, often. If, you, if, you've, if you've got a pastor that you've been under any time, you will know that their pastors have certain words that we like to use. We use them all over. My wife can probably tell you what I'm going to say in the pulpit before I say it. I'm sure we're not the only ones that way. We are creatures of habit, and we're limited in our vocabulary and our scope. So there's this really interesting thing. John, St. John, the Gospel of John 1 18, no man has seen God at any time. Only the Son has declared Him. But it would appear that John went through a little bit of a revolutionary the theological process of the ministry of mediation. Because in, in 1 John 4 and 12, John uses the same terminology that he used in, in John chapter 1, verse 18. But in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12, if you can take us there, no man has seen God at any time. Oh, I know where you're going, John. I got you. I'm already there. Jesus is the one. Time out. No man has seen God at any time, but he doesn't focus on the role of Christ as mediator anymore. Because the role of Christ as mediator, as powerful as it is in the lives of the believers, is an incomplete manifestation of the role of the mediator in the world today. This is what John says. He says, nobody has seen God at any time. But it's not the role of Christ that makes him known in the present tense. This is what he says. If we... If we love one another. God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. That word perfected doesn't mean perfect like we think. It means that it is accomplished. It is completed in us. 
Can I just tell you, 21st century church, that the role of the mediator, as glorious as Christ is and as perfect as his work was, it is still being completed. It is the primary objective of the church today. It is not a past tense thing. It is a present tense activity of the church. I'll I'll be as bold as to say this. Every healing that God does, every revolutionary powerful work, every miracle that he does is an extension done with the purpose not of gratification of the individual, not to make us feel good. And we feel good, praise God. I love what just happened here. I feel complete. I feel happy. I feel good. But can I just tell you, that's not the fundamental purpose. The fundamental purpose of healing and deliverance and of the unity of the body is so that we will be one and we will be able to function in a way that Christ has present tense hands and Christ has present tense feet and Christ has a present tense reach. The ministry of the mediator is not tied intimately to first century Judea. It is an ongoing process in 21st century Malaysia and Singapore and Australia and Brunei. He says the invisible God is declared and his purpose is made clear when we love one another. That is an equally powerful act as the actions of our mediator Christ on the cross. They are equal because we follow in his example. Christ opened a door for us to enter into and we, because we have been reconciled, we have this ministry of reconciliation. The plan and the purpose of God unseen before the worlds were framed is completed and accomplished when love informs every relationship, every connection, every conversation, every word, every motivation, every thought. It is an ongoing continuation of the work of Christ on the cross and what he did to bring salvation. We are a continuation of that. And I go back to what I said about millions and billions living in a Job-like environment. Can I just tell you, I love you, and I think you're amazing, and I think the church, this community is absolutely beautiful, but this room is not the fullness or the completion of what God desires to do in this part of the world. I recognize you for the glorious church that you are. God help us though if we think this is the apex and the summit and the point of everything that we are in for. We didn't just come here to be blessed so that we could walk away feeling good. That wholeness will change us. That, That healing will change us. But it's change tied to a purpose.
It's change and healing tied to what happens not next Sunday, but what happens next Monday morning when it's not DCD anymore and it's not the beautiful place where we are, but it's us getting up and saying, oh God, I know you've called me and you've equipped me to be a mediator. This motivation, I love how, how Sister, Sister Shostrand said it, the, the real life, the real measure is not what I do on Sunday. It's not how high I jump or how loud I preach. Hallelujah. It's, it's how I treat people. You want to get spiritual? What's your reputation at your workplace? You want to talk about the revelation of God in the world? How are you doing with finances? What, what's your reputation in your community? You say, Pastor, that, that's not, that you're wrong. Oh, I'm in the book. I am the continuation of the work of Christ. I am the continuation of the glorious gospel that changed my life. I have a mandate to be a mediator in my world and in my family, in my community. Why? Because I have experienced and tasted and seen the goodness of God. Have you found salvation in His name? You have the, the ministry of the mediator. It doesn't stop with you. It, it, it begins. It's, the ministry of the mediator didn't stop with Christ. It's the ministry of every born-again believer in general. And it is the specific ministry of the five-fold God-called pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, missionaries, apostles, and prophets. Because when you've gotten a hold of Him, and He's gotten a hold of you, he positions you to get a hold of somebody else. I've just come this morning to remind you of what the trajectory of this meeting is. What the trajectory of what you felt is. You know, we sometimes live in very short-sighted ways. We are, we are focused on the immediate. We, we have very limited vision and we, we think in the moment. I think it's very telling that God consistently refers to us as His children. He consistently refers to us as His children because we tend to be childish in our relationship to Him. We tend to be very short-sighted even when we've grown up. Hmm. Maybe in other places. You are positioned in Christ's stead to reach, to connect, to inform, to bridge. Now, I didn't die for people like Jesus did. I, 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 don't, have to, I don't have to abuse myself like Jesus did. Others will do that for me, Sister Showstrand. And it will accomplish the plan and purpose of God. I don't give my entire life, and I'm not, I'm not the Savior and that's, that's a whole other complex that we have to deal with sometimes because you can go so far on the other end of the spectrum that you sacrifice things at the altar of ministry that you think God wants you to sacrifice when in reality that's not accurate. You're not the Savior. I'll say it again. Preacher, 
Pastor, you're not the Savior. You, you can't save anybody. You say, well, what are you saying? I'm simply saying that you, you've got a hold of Him. But you can never be satisfied with just having a hold of Him because He wants you. The completion is in the flow that takes place. As you have one hand open to heaven, one hand connected with Him, and the other hand connected to a lost and dying world, there is healing that takes place in you as the flow begins to go through you. We are an extension of his mediating ministry. It, it frames every encounter I have. It qualifies every message I preach. It seasons every word I speak. It, 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 is, it is the salt and pepper of every conversation that I have. Now, you don't ever get upset in public venues, I know. When you drive and someone cuts you off, you don't ever get upset. When someone tries to cheat you from your hard-earned money, you don't ever get angry. No, no, no. When somebody says something about you that's not true, you don't ever defend yourself, I know. You don't ever get upset when somebody takes your seat or does something that you don't like. You don't ever assert your rights at the expense of others. I know you never do that. It's only other people in other places in lands far, far away. What I found is that if I see myself as the mediator, I will learn to limit my freedoms willingly consciously not in a not in a damaged unhealthy way i i i i'm healthy and i'm whole can i just say jesus was whole when he went to the cross he was a healthy completely functioning normal human being in that sense that gave himself willingly he, he wasn't ill, he wasn't sick, he wasn't dysfunctional, he wasn't messed up in, in his head, he wasn't deranged, he wasn't psychotic, he wasn't neurotic, he was perfectly sane and had a perfectly clear connection with God. And because of that, it adds more significance when he willingly gives himself. God doesn't want a mentally deranged, unhealthy church to be going and trying to save the world and do everything. He wants a healthy group of people. He wants a whole group of people. He wants a sanctified from head to toe group of people who will willingly say, you know what? I'm good. I'm, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm surrendering. And because of his wonder and his glory and what he's done for me, I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to reach anywhere. I'm willing to do anything as a mediator. Huh. We are mediators to a lost and dying world. We, are the, we have the ministry of the mediator. We, and, and I'm going to go somewhere and you, you just love me anyway. You are not the minister of defense for the kingdom of God. 
Now, I, I just heard one or two of you in the back of your mind say, you know, we need to guard the sheep. We need to... That's true. There are moments when you warn, when you guard. when you... That, that role is generally very limited. Righteous indignation is usually a very narrow street. It is not a wide boulevard where you live all the time. And even in that role, that limited role of the ministry of defense as the man or woman of God, that role is the ultimate protection and restoration of the body, not the destruction of the, of the enemy. Can I just tell you, my, my goal is not to destroy the devil. I do not go looking for devils. You know, the only time I have interaction with him is when he gets in the way of the mission of mediating with a lost and dying world. If he gets between the church and a lost soul, we will deal with him very harshly, but we don't go looking for devils around every corner. That's not a productive use of time. You don't have to defend truth on every venue. You, you, you don't have to put every opinion. Hear me. You don't have to put every opinion that you think is truth on your Facebook. You say, Pastor, I'm, I, I'm, I'm defending the truth. No, you're not. You're condemning people and feeling spiritual while doing it. You say, well, well, no, I'm just witnessing. I'm sorry. Condemning other belief systems publicly and shaming them, I don't find any place in the Word of God where that is done. You know what I find? I find Jesus in the role of mediator using bridges to connect with people where they are, to connect with people at the point of their need, to connect with them in love. The ministry of the mediator has got to be my primary function because it will change how I see the world. I, I can choose to lead and live from a place of love and have the ministry of the mediator or I can choose to live and lead from a place of fear and my primary function will be the minister of defense. Because if I leave out of, lead out of fear and I live out of fear, I will try and see everything as a threat. I will have a very self-conscious, self-limiting view of the power of God and the glory of God and the glory of His kingdom, and I will look at everything as a threat. But if I will step into the role of the ministry of the mediator, I will see those same things as opportunities for the kingdom to come and for the will of God to be done in the world. Please don't choose the ministry of defense. Please choose to be a mediator. There's people in your life, their lives and their eternal destinies are hinged on you choosing to be a mediator and not a minister of defense. There are cities and countries that will not hear the gospel if our approach is out of fear and it's combative. But if we will walk in love by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. 
No man has seen God at any time. Yes, Christ made him known, but John got a revelation later on and he understood that yes, Christ made him known in the past tense, but in the present tense of this world, Christ is most visibly seen when you are loving one another and living in service and love to the people around us. The minister, the mediator, sees every situation as an opportunity. Hear hear this. By definition, the mediator and those operating in that ministry step purposely into volatility. They step intentionally into conflict. They don't create it. Chaos creation is not a spiritual gift. Conflict creation, strife is not a spiritual gift. It's not something that God uses people to stir up strife. I'm just helping the church. I'm just helping the church. I'm just helping the church. No. The mediator steps into conflict, chaos, and volatility that it has not created, but it does it intentionally. Blessed are the peacemakers. Here's what I found in looking at people who operate in this ministry, the mediator. When we do step into volatility, he's already there. When I do step into conflict and chaos, His presence is already there if I approach it with the right spirit. I can find Him working in places where it's not immediately obvious that He would be working. And can I just say this? Offense. God can redeem offense. I'm going to say it again because not not enough of you said amen to that. God can redeem offense. You say, Pastor, are you saying that it's the will of God for me to be offended? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if we would ever learn to deal with conflict the way the Bible instructs us to deal with conflict, it would not be a relationship weakener, but it would be a relationship strengthener. My wonderful wife is studying and like any good husband, I sometimes have to read her papers. I get to read her papers. I learned an amazing thing. This is not Bible, but it's pretty close, Brother Simon. He said, many Christians have become better at peace faking than they have at peacemaking. If I just ignore it long enough, if I just don't talk about it, the offense will go away. If I just talk to somebody else and not to them, I'm sorry, that's not Bible. That's not Bible. We have a very clear biblical mandate for what we do when we have conflict in the body of Christ. And that's this. If I know that somebody is offended and I know, or I know I have offended somebody, I should go to them to their face. 
I should make clear. You say, well, what if they don't like it? What if it blows up? I'm sorry, I can't change the Bible based on fear of how people will react. It's just reasonable. I'm, I'm telling you, there are things in the kingdom of God that if we would start following what the Word says and start living what the Word says and not living out of fear of what might happen or fear of how we might be perceived, there is a revival and a strength that could take place in the church that would equip us and propel us into the place God wants us to be. I'm not convinced all of us are ready at this moment for where God wants to take us. We think we have capacity. We think we have ability, but there are some unfixed unaddressed things in our lives that God this week I believe wants to heal and wants to expose and wants to change. Not to mess up my mind or mess up my brain, but to allow me to broaden my capacity to where I don't walk in fear anymore of what they will think of me. Fear of what they want, want me to do or don't want me to do. You can leave this place with a greater revelation and understanding of love and you can become a mediator in places where there's only ever been conflict. You can become a mediator because you're not going to live out of and lead out of fear anymore. You're going to get on your face before God and he's going to baptize you with a love for people that have hurt you. He's going to baptize you with a love for people that have walked away and damaged you. He's going to baptize you. He's going to baptize you with a love for people that have damaged you in your past and you will speak words. Somebody needs to hear me and see this right now. God will put words in your mouth when you walk in the ministry of a mediator. If you want to be Christ-like and you want apostolic revival, you better put away the weapons of defense and self-defense and you better take up your cross, which is an instrument of torture and it might cost you something. But hear me in the Holy Ghost when I tell you on the other side of embracing mediation, there is a move of God that will propel you into a place you've never been before. Oh, come on, somebody lift your voice. Oh, Jesus. Even as I've said those things, there have been threatening images come into some of your minds because you've thought of people that have damaged you and it scares you what their response might be. And you can dance around unforgiveness you can dance around hatred in your heart and have a great time in this place and walk away completely unchanged carrying the same bondage as you yes bondage I use that word you can carry out the same chains that you come in with and you will continue living leading and seeing the world as a threat to you 
But if you will step, change roles for a minute and step out of defensive mode and step into mediation mode and see yourself as Christ sees you with one hand a hold of him like we felt so strongly here today. But the challenge most of us have is extending a hand to the other. I love him. I know him. Not so sure about you. Jesus washed Judas's feet. The agreement had already been made. The plan was already in progress. He knew what was going to happen. And our Lord got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet, the lowest part of the lowest traitor the world has ever known. Almost immediately as those same feet were about to run out the door to complete the transaction. I know you've been hurt. I don't think you've been hurt that bad though. I don't think you've been messed up quite that bad. Jesus was confident enough in the will of God. His hand was so firm that he could reach his other hand out to anybody without any fear because he, he trusted the one who would take care of him. The ministry of mediation is one of the most stretching things you will ever do in your life. Because there are those who will pull you. There are those who will try to take you away and take advantage of you. But you've got to keep a hold of him. As I come to a close, gently, respectfully, but with the force of the forever settled word. I charge you in the Holy Ghost to take a hold of the ministry of the mediator and to reject the temptation to be primarily the ministry of defense. There are revivals yet unseen in communities yet unknown that will only open up when you get a hand a hold of him and you open a hand to the world. Don't ever stop reaching for the lost. Don't ever stop connecting. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong in this witness right now. He corre araba sandayarabosotoyeke. 
wherever you are. You don't have to stand. You don't have to come to the front unless you want to. But if you receive this word of the ministry of the mediator, I want you to ask God to baptize you with a fresh love and a fresh vision of what it looks like to live and to lead out of love and not out of fear. Let's turn this entire place into a prayer room. Since we arrived here, it's been a it's been glorious. <laughs> but I feel that it's almost like there's a cloud over this place that is so full and so ready to burst. But nearly every time that Jesus would do a miracle of healing, a miracle of restoration, a miracle of almost any, time, any kind, the Bible would say that he was moved by compassion. I believe if we will embrace the love of God in this moment, that there is a release of supernatural power and authority that will accompany love. It will accompany Love. It will accompany love. The gifts of the Spirit flow by nothing else other than love. If you don't have, you don't have love, you are a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But the revelation of love that God wants to give us in this room right now and the rejection of self-protection, the rejection of self the idea that I have to protect myself, if we will reject that, and not lead out of fear and live out of fear, but embrace a revelation of love, the cloud is ready to burst in this room right now. There are hands in this room that God is ready for you to lay hands on somebody and for them to be healed. There are words and mouths in this room that God is ready to speak through you, but you can't speak what he says if you don't have the love that he has. You can't lay hands on those he's called you to lay hands on unless you operate in the love that he has for them. This is not a downtrodden message. This idea of love, this idea of the ministry of the mediator is the very revelation of God at work in the world. And it releases the anointing of the Spirit to take us where we've never been, to do what we've never done. Oh, I wonder if there's anybody who would say, I want that love. And then when you receive it from God, I release you in the Holy Ghost to minister to those around you. I release you to go and whatever the Lord would say, whoever he would direct you to. Let there be a release of the gifts of the Spirit in this room right now. I loose your tongue to speak. I loose your hands to, to go and lay hands. I loose your feet to go where he's called you to go.
It is the will of God in this moment for there to be miracles, signs, and wonders take place throughout this congregation as the spirit of love operates in us and through us. It is the will of God for there to be miracles, signs, and wonders take place in this room right now as we operate in a deeper revelation of love than we've ever operated before. Oh, that's it. Somebody look through right now. Let the Spirit speak to you. Let the Spirit speak to you right now. That's it. Be bold in the Holy Ghost right now. As you extend your hand to others in love, with the love of Christ, there are miracles that will overflow in your own life. As you extend your hand to others, that wonder-working power, that authority of the Spirit will accomplish what He came to accomplish in your own life. Be bold in the Spirit in this moment. Be bold in the Holy Ghost. Oh, speak what thus saith the Lord. Speak what thus saith the Lord. It's reasonable for you to go and minister to somebody right now. It's reasonable for miracles to take place in this room as believers lay hands on believers, as believers minister to believers. Hilo bo satari arabahanda